Brilliant Misfits, episode 65 with Kate Toon. Be happy with being yourself. It sounds trite, but all of us have something special about ourselves. And as soon as we stop trying to be like everyone else, that specialness kind of rises to the top and you can embrace it and explore it. And there is nothing more relaxing than being able to be yourself, not just with your family, but online, in business. Just to be yourself wherever you are is a freedom and something I only discovered a bit later in life, but thank God I discovered it. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful, and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Aisha Kennedy. Hello and welcome everyone to Brilliant Misfits, another fabulous episode. I have a very special guest today and she is... Her name is Kate Toon. She's an award-winning SEO copywriter and an SEO consultant with almost two decades of experience. So she has lots to share in all things advertising, digital, and writing. But most of all, while most small business owners network before breakfast and hustle and hustle and hustle 24-7, Kate Toon took a different approach. Of course she would. She's a brilliant misfit. She (laughs) built her business empire from her back garden while wearing pajamas and eating crisps. So I'm going to introduce <laughs> you. Well, welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. So I'm going to get into this wearing pajamas and eating crisps. Now, that's a very appeal, an appealing thing for women who are, you know, starting home-based businesses, um, online entrepreneurial businesses. And yet I find in my experience and what I see out there is women just really working, like you say, 24-7, burning out. Um, there's so many shiny objects out there. They don't know where to focus. So you said that you want to share a message about that you don't need to do all the things to be successful. And you found out in your own experience, and I want you to share that with the audience, that you don't have to do everything. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, you know, when you go out on your own, um, you... You, you know, you're a bit lost. I think many of us are. Maybe we start off with a germ of an idea, but it's so easy in this, especially in this world of social media, to be distracted by what other people are doing. So maybe you start off with quite a firm direction. You know, you, you want to maybe escape some kind of corporate life. You want to work from home. You want to be able to spend time with your family. And you come up with an idea for a business, but then you suddenly turn around and you're two years into it. You're working harder than you ever did for the corporate job. And you've kind of lost your purpose or lost your why. And, you know, I've been there. That happened to me. And I think it took me a while to work out why I was, why I'd started a business in the first place and to constantly have to remind myself that I never wanted to be a superstar entrepreneur lying on a Porsche counting my cash. I wanted a, a lifestyle business. I wanted to be able to pick my son up from school and work in my pants you know and there's nothing wrong with that Mm. and so what I hear you saying is really for each of us to be our own person each of us has to define what what lifestyle means to us what lifestyle business means to us 
Yes, and all you know, determine your why. That's a big uh, message from that guy who most of us have heard of, Simon Sinek. He's done a great TED talk on that. If you want to check it out, why are you doing what you're doing? What you know, people talk a lot about business plans and financial goals. I've never had financial goals, and I've never had a business plan. But I've always tried to keep my reasons for doing what I do clear in my mind, and that has kept me on pretty much a straight path. I've managed to avoid some shiny objects, uh, but not all of them. And uh, also, I think super important to define your version of success. So what does success mean to you? Does success mean a bank, a big bank account, a big bank balance? Does it mean adoration? Does it mean fame? Or does it simply mean being able to do something you enjoy with people you like and being to, able to turn the computer off at three o'clock and focus on your family. And all those versions of success are fine as long as you are happy with them. Mm. That just makes me take a nice deep breath. That feels so good. <laughs> it's like I want to just lean back into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, because in this world, you know, you can be really striving a lot without realizing it and then forget your purpose, forget your lifestyle, forget your success. Like what does it all mean? Because you're just in this whirlwind. Um, yeah just going, going, going. I think I've often been guilty of being a busy fool, you know, and doing all the things um, because I feel I ought to uh, without examining whether the things are working, without thinking about whether I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing and actually whether it's making me money. Um, this is another really important thing that I've learned in my time as a, as a business person is, you know, if, if you want, if you're, if you don't earn money, then it's a hobby. If you earn money, then it's a business. But how much money you earn is something that you need to define. You know, you can't look at everyone else's and try and keep up with the Joneses. You know, we can't all be gazillionaires, even though we are sold that dream so frequently on Facebook, you know, the seven-figure business plan. You know, it's we have to work out how much money we need to be happy and comfortable and then be okay with that. I love that. I really love that. I think that's really sage advice. And, you know, there's nothing wrong either if you look at what you're doing and you say, well, I, I'm not making money right now. So that's a hobby. But not make it a negative thing because sometimes hobbies actually turn into very wonderful lifestyle businesses as well. So, But it's always having that awareness, isn't it? It is. And, you know, equally, don't be, think that you have to turn a hobby into a business. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 there's lots of things I like to do, but if I tried to earn money from them, it would actually suck the joy out of that thing. Part of the joy is that there's no pressure on me to be someone great for that thing. You know, I like, I like gardening, but do I like it enough that I want to turn that into a little landscape gardening business? No, because that would ruin it for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It, to have hobbies and mm. you know not all of us need to be earning the big bucks I mean you know some of us need to I'm the breadwinner in our family so my situation is a little bit different but you know I, I think there's just so much pressure on all of us I think it is particularly women but also men to push harder to dream bigger to earn more to have a bigger Facebook group more follow it's just more this attitude of more this it reminds me Aisha, I don't know if you remember that film Wall Street with mm -hmm. Gordon Gecko, and yeah. he said greed is good and I feel like all we're doing now this whole entrepreneur thing is is, is it's like still greed is good 
but it's just masquerading under this hippie, hipster, bearded, beanbag facade. <laughs> I love it, yes. Yeah, we, we, really, we really do buy into that um, concept that bigger is better and, you know, oh. this whole thing like don't, don't be small and, you know, but sometimes like, you know, if you're happy, if you're enjoying your life and it's not huge, then what's the problem? There is no problem. I believe that small is beautiful. And I deliberately try to say, stay small. I, what I do is I work enough. I, I, you know, get to a point where I can keep doing what I'm doing with just me. I don't want a team. I don't want an office. I don't want to have to commute anywhere, wear human clothes, have to drive a car. I just want to stay at home. And that that's my big goal. And that big goal means staying small. But that's, that's perfectly okay. You know, the thought of having a team of underlings reporting to me I had that in the corporate world it wasn't enjoyable I don't want to be responsible for anybody else's mortgage I don't want to be responsible for my mortgage to be perfectly honest but hey uh, so I'm really all about you know being okay with being small I, you know I know this dream big uh, walk the talk before you can walk the walk thing is very popular at the moment but I just find that stressful and the reason I started my own business was to be less stressed not more stressed yeah, I think that's pretty important to highlight and I think it's probably something that most women can relate to. They they drop maybe they dropped out of corporate because they didn't want the stress. And mm. then it, and then slowly it gets recreated without you even knowing it. So it's good to stop, pause and really take stock of what's going on. And if you are feeling stressed, to just realign yourself with everything we've talked about. Why, your lifestyle, what success means to you, whether you're enjoying it. And is it making money and what can you do? So you say small is beautiful, but that doesn't mean that being small means you don't earn as much money. Because I think you're quite successful in your business. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's it's taken a while. I'm, I'm nine years in and believe me, there have been highs and lows along the way. But I had a bit of a turning point about six years in. I, I was a copywriter for many years and I was exchanging you know, my time for money. Um, I had pretty much an hourly rate and I would, you know, I could only have so many clients. There were only so many hours in the day. So back then I decided to try and make some things as well, to try and have some products that would sell on the side. It's that whole passive income lie where we think we'll just make this thing and this thing will just sell and it will just sit there and the money will roll in. Um, and of course, that doesn't happen. And it takes an awful lot of work to create the thing, but then to maintain the thing. And most importantly, to keep marketing the thing. But I have done that, you know, I worked on it, I kept on going even when it was a horrendous flop. Um, and now yeah, I have a course, which is a, a, a large SEO course. And I run that three times a year. And that pretty much is my everything. Do you know what I mean? That's 90% of my income. I also have a membership community where people pay an annual subscription and I have a little shop for that. That's a copywriting uh, school. Um, and I have other bits and bobs. I have a book that, you know, sells a couple of copies. It's not, you know, top of, it's not going to be JK Rowling anytime soon, but <laughs> it, it all, it all trickles in. But that's not to say that I therefore can spend just one hour a day working from a hammock. You know, I do still, I still work hard, you know, for the time that I work, I don't work long hours. But when I work, I'm focused and I keep on keeping on, you know, mm, mm. I love the title of your, of your book, which is for the listeners, Misfit Entrepreneur. 
Isn't yeah. that great? I love that. Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur. And I was <laughs> talking to Aisha before the podcast. When I came up with the word misfit, I thought I was a genius. I thought it was, this is no one's used this word before. And of course, it's the title of Aisha's podcast and I've also you know now that once I once you start googling yourself you're like oh my god everyone's a misfit and (laughs) I wasn't quite as inventive as I thought I was but yeah I mean what does misfit mean to you I'm interested to know how you define it Uh, for me I, I, I agree I think everybody to some degree is a misfit and for me personally, I just I can only speak for myself, and I've had many guests, but it's a similar version of like just not belonging, like just not really fitting into way the way you were told to do things, or yeah. you know, it's kind of like these boxes are set up, but you just can't, you, you just somehow don't fit in, and you know you don't, and you yeah. try and you try and you try because you want to belong, but it doesn't work, and in the end, I find that. It's a beautiful gift because what it does is it pushes you into yourself to being your own person, being true to who you are, to find out who that is in the first place, and then finding your brilliance. What is that, you know, that thing that you do that makes you happy? I love that. You just gave me goosebumps. That's everything. That's everything I feel as well. I just remember... You know, I hate the word entrepreneur, but that's what I, I can't, you know, if I were to list out everything that I do, it just, it would take me half an hour. So it's a good general term. And business owner sounds really boring. But then when I looked at the entrepreneurs, it was always sort of women in, with beautiful hair, sitting on desks in nice suits with really good legs. And um, <laughs> I have none of that. I don't have good legs. My hair is questionable. I don't own a suit. And I, my desk probably couldn't take my weight. But and I and I, I felt but I tried to be that. Like you said, I really tried. I even I remember Aisha, I made a video. I wore like hair extensions and made <laughs> made this awful video, really made up. I looked ridiculous. And then I just realized that it was just so hard work not being myself. It is exhausting. And when you can just be yourself all the time, imperfections, messy hair, whatever, it is such a relief. It makes everything so much easier. Totally. That's why I love podcasts because I can sit here without any makeup. If my hair is a mess, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Nobody's going to see me. And uh, it's really about the value of what you're offering. And um, so let's get into the value of what we offer because let's talk a little bit about what you do as a copywriter. And how did you get into that in the first place? Well, when I uh, left university, I, I was really keen to be like a music journalist. That's what I was desperate to do. But I racked up too much debt at university and I, I couldn't. So I got a job uh, in kind of media, running conferences and things like that. And then in around 1995, the internet was kind of invented. I know it was invented earlier, but it's kind of when people started to have email addresses and things like that. And I managed to get a job, bizarrely, at an internet agency building websites. And the first website I built at that agency was the Marks and Spencers website in the UK. It was the first e-commerce website in England. So that, you know, I'm showing my age. And then from there, you know, I spent time in different ad agencies in England and then moved to Australia, but mostly on the production side. So more the organization, the planning, the timelines. And I just got sick of it. And I really fancied myself as a writer. That that dream of being a writer was still there. So uh, many years ago, I took, a, I think, an 80% pay cut and went back to being a junior copywriter and started from there. Um, and then I spent more years 
bobbling about. And it really wasn't until I got pregnant uh, and I realized I couldn't keep working in agency life because I did want to spend time with my child. And for those of you who don't know, agency world is very long hours, you know, weekends, evenings. So I packed it all in and thought, what can I do now? What skill can I offer? And I kind of thought, well, I'll, I'll be a copywriter. I didn't really have any formal training. I've never done a course or a degree, but I kind of thought I was pretty good at writing and I just kind of started. Mm. And have you always enjoyed writing? Is it something that you did when you were a child or, you know? Just, yeah. yeah. I think I've always enjoyed creating and writing is part of that. I like, I like to draw. I like to make things. And especially these days, I mean, honestly, now I probably don't, I don't actually do very much copywriting for clients anymore. It's mainly writing for my own business or writing my own product descriptions or my own courses. Um, but I enjoy creating. I enjoy solving problems. I enjoy coming up with strange ways of expressing things. I've always enjoyed that. Um, in its all its forms, whether it be a video, a graphic, or whatever. But I think words are my thing. I, I'm a big reader. You know, I love to read, and yeah. So I've always been a wordy person, a creative person. I think. Mm. Yeah, and did and, and did that fit in with everyone else? That was, you know, like usually if you're a misfit, you kind of grow up knowing you're a misfit. I just wanted yeah. to to get back into like what was that like for you? growing up like did you find that same similar thread in your life before? I mean I think, yeah I think I've always been an observer I feel like I've always been the person slightly on the edge of the of the experience mm. thinking about it and making snarky remarks quite often and um, rather than the person in the experience fully immersed I'm not somebody who very easily gets engrossed both side you know I have you know we both have two minds we have the mind that's doing the thing and then the other mind that's wandering off thinking about what they're going to be doing tomorrow I've always been I'm not someone who's very good at unfortunately being in the moment without thinking about the fact that I'm being in the moment uh, so the consciousness and the id are two very separate beasts for me and so yeah I think throughout my childhood I would be slightly on the edge. I could participate, but maybe, you know, not fully. And then definitely in agency world. I mean, there's a certain personality that does well in agency land, very extrovert, very confident. Um, you know, and and I I can be an extrovert, I can be confident, but I don't think it's my natural state, if that makes sense. Oh, so it yeah. totally makes sense. I mm. think that's part of trying to fit in. Like, you know, you can do it. I mean, I can do it too. I can be out there, social extrovert, but it's not really my natural way. You know, no. I'm not really that type of person. Where some people are. Some people yeah, totally and, and are. Good, good on them, you know. And I think, you know, we, we met at the Artful uh, Business Conference and, you know, that is prolonged exposure to other humans. And I love other <laughs> humans. And I, I, you know, I'm one of these people, I think I'm called an ambivert. I do get a lot of energy and enjoyment out of other humans, but only when I want to. And then I have to withdraw and, you know, put my jamas on and, and watch some Netflix before I can do it again. I can't do it for prolonged periods, you know. Oh, so good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> There's more of us out there. No, it's there wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but there were a couple of things that you, you mentioned, and I, I just want to highlight them because I think it does take a certain amount of, I don't know, I don't know if it's resilience or courage, but, you know, you were willing to take an 80% cut so that you could, you know, swing into what alignment, I'll say, of what was something that you felt more 
enjoyment with. And I think that's important that sometimes we have to actually do those sorts of things if we're in a position to do it, to actually take the leap. Yes. And I think the same when you leave corporate life and you set up your own business, that's an extremely brave thing to do and difficult thing to do. If it was easy, everyone would do it, you know? Um, And whether that's about self-confidence or you're just sick of it and you make a rash decision in my situation I got pregnant and really I didn't have another option so I had to make it work I I'll be honest with you you know I don't think I am a particularly brave person or I wasn't then for sure um I'm not sure I ever would have left if it hadn't been for getting pregnant thank you my little son that changed my life um because I think I'd still be there and being miserable and just keeping on going because I didn't think that I could do anything else. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It is interesting. And I, I talked with a woman once and she said that, you know, courage is one of those things that you don't actually realize that you have it until you need it. Yes. And then it comes forth. There's a great line about women are like tea bags. You don't know how strong they are until you dip them in hot water or something <laughs> I oh, have, that's good. I may have misquoted that, but uh, it's well, that's good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about um, why it's in, like when you do copywriting for yourself, or you say you're not doing it so much for others, but what's really important? So, for those women who are listening and they want some business tips and, you know, sort of misfit business tips. What about copywriting? What is, let's say, like, what's the common oversight in copywriting? Well, I think that, you know, copywriting is essentially writing words that sell. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially women, are nervous about selling. It makes them feel icky and dirty. It brings to mind, like, used car salesmen um, and infomercials. And they are timid about that. And they kind of don't want to shout about their products they want to hide their light under a whatever the expression is a bushel a candle I don't know what it is but they you know they're not they're like oh I don't really want to I don't want to go on about myself you know and I think one of the biggest uh ways to relieve that pressure is to think I'm not sure who came up with this it might have been Marie Folio or somebody else but it's like imagine that you have a drug that cures a disease telling people about that drug is not selling it's literally helping people solve a problem and you wouldn't feel bad about that so that's a great way of looking at your product or your service you there are people out there who would benefit from the thing that you sell the thing that you do and all they want is for you to explain it to them and to reassure them that they're making the right purchase decision I find that attitude really freeing. So, you know, for example, say you sell jumpers for hedgehogs and, you know, you're like, oh, I really don't want to be pushy about this. I just want to make my little jumpers for my hedgehogs. And But think about it, you know, if someone owns a hedgehog and winter's coming, the hedgehog could catch a cold, it could get ill. You have a solution for that. So explain it, show them proof that other hedgehogs have benefited from this jumper, uh, you know, explain how it's made, what features it has, how it's going to benefit the person. And that's that's selling. That's copywriting. That's all it is. It's explanation, reassurance. That's pretty much it. Oh, I love that. You know, what I hear from that and why it feels so relaxing, or, you know, and not so mm, icky selling, 
what feels relaxing about that is it takes the focus out of your own fears about selling or your own timidity or whatever it is, and it places it on your customers and saying, well, how can I help them? It's a completely different perspective. Yeah, so you're not pushing, you're just helping. There's a little um, acronym that I find very useful. It's called the BDF acronym. So beliefs is about what are the preconceived beliefs people have about your products and services. If you can narrow those down, identify them, fantastic. Uh, Desires, what do people want from your product or service? Uh, You know, if you can identify those, great. And then fears, what is stopping people from using your product or service? So, you know, as a copywriter, if I put my hat on, somebody coming to a copywriter, their preconceived beliefs might be, that I'm going to be super expensive, that I'm not going to understand their business, um, that they're not going to, it's not going to sound like them. And then the desire is that I'm going to take the stress out of writing their copy, that I'm going to produce something that they're so happy with, that they can afford it, and that's going to sell their product. Uh, and their fear is going to be that, similar to the to the preconceived beliefs, that, you know, I'm going to bamboozle them with jargon, and I'm going to, you know, charge them big bucks. And so if you in your copy can address all of those things as someone's reading it, then you reassure them. You're like, hey, I know you think that no one can get inside your head and write like you, but I'm here to do that for you. And this is how I do it. You know, and if they're worried about pricing, just tell them your pricing. They'll either be able to afford it or they won't. It's just really trying to get into the head of your customer and have empathy. That's why I you know, those of us who have empathy, (laughs) it's easier to sell because we can put ourselves in the shoes of the person who's about to buy. And that's really all it's about. Mm, And that's a good quality because I I think a lot of women actually have empathy. I mean, I know there's some that don't, but they're for the, you know, for the most part, I think it's a quality that most women have. And instead of focusing on that other side of, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not, you know, to just go into that wonderful quality of empathy and put yourself in the shoes of your customer and and who you want to help. And that's it. Most of the time, by the time somebody's got to your sales page or your website, they're, they're on their way to wanting to buy the thing. And all they're looking for is reassurance that they're making the right decision for them. So again, that's why, especially in copy, copywriting, proof is so powerful. So, you know, testimonials, testimonials with pictures um, and different scenarios for those testimonials. So what I'm looking for, if I go to a sales page, is someone like me, someone who has the same problem as me that was solved by this thing. If I can find that person, and I read that testimonial, even though I don't know that person, I'm going to feel better. There's some stat by Nielsen, uh, the statistics company, that says people are 70% more likely to buy something if they read a testimonial, even if they don't know who the person who wrote the testimonial. So it's like stranger recommendation is a hugely powerful factor in selling. Mm. Mm. And so this was the, the work that you've done, what you've just explained to us so generously is the work that you have done in the past with big companies like eHarmony and Kmart and Kurash, so this is, you help them to break this down and write in a way that will reach their customers in a real way. In a real way, yeah. So definitely that, but the other part, the other sort of side of me and what I do is I help people rank in Google so that when someone types in, 
you know, uh, what's the best hedgehog jumper? I keep using hedgehog jumper as an example. It's not a very good one, but, you know. (laughs) We won't forget it. (laughs) We won't. When someone types in, you know, the thing that they're looking for, that you are the site that comes up at the top of the rankings because we know that most of us don't click through to the second page most of us don't even scroll so about making that connection between what humans are typing into google and then connecting that to the content on your site so that you are constantly solving customer problems and you know google begins to recognize that and goes well hey look this person has done some great content, it's relevant, it's using similar words, this is a good result for that query. So it's a bit of that as well, a bit of a bit of sort of empathetic stuff and a bit of pleasing the Google gods and pleasing the humans at the same time. Wow, that's a nice, um, that's a nice trio, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Empathy, SEO, and pleasing the, uh, the gods. Pleasing the gods, yes, exactly. Well, that's, you know, that whole world of SEO is so mysterious to me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way, but um, how important is that, really? I guess it's important in the search engines, isn't it, to, to come up? Well, I think it is. I mean, I, I think if even if we just, you know, we could, I could reel off statistics to you, but if we just think, you know, anecdotally from our own experience, if I want to buy something, um, I don't wait for a TV ad to come up on television or scroll through Instagram hoping that I'll see a picture of that thing that I want to buy. I go straight to Google. Um, and there is a stat that says something like 80% of online purchases start with a Google search. So when someone's on Google, they want the thing. They may not know that you do the thing or that you sell the thing, but they want the thing. And they're so much further down that conversion path. They're ready. Their credit card is in their hands. So it is super powerful. Um, and, you know, unlike advertising, you don't necessarily have to pay for it. You know, you pay your money, you get your click. SEO is a slower burn, so it can take longer to get to those top spots. But I think mostly people think it's a dark art. They think there is a secret. They think there is some magic juju that's going to make it work for them. But there isn't. It is simply a case of you know finding someone that you can trust, having the process explained to you, doing things in the right order, and investing time where it should be invested. So what I mean by this is, I see a lot of people who come on my course who have been blogging maybe for two years, um, you know, in support of their business or their service or their e-store, um, and they've got nowhere. Uh, and they realized through going through the process, I've got like a seven-step process, they realize that the reason is, is because there's something fundamentally flawed in their website, like there's something technically wrong with it, or there's a piece missing, or they're blocking this, that, or the other. Um, and then once they remove that block it's like boom you know the light shines and things start to happen but you don't know what you don't know and I think the problem with SEO is there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of people on Facebook trying to be helpful but telling people the wrong things and there's just a lot of general fear because we all get those emails saying hi I'm Sanjit I've looked at your site it's terrible let me help you with your SEO and so we just mistrust SEO people naturally (laughs) I don't know about you but you know I know a lot of people do Mm, mm, yes those emails (laughs) yeah but I 
get those. And I mean, I rank in number one position for hundreds and hundreds of keywords, but I get six or seven of those emails every single day. So I don't target people in any way. It's just they buy email lists and they send out emails hoping that someone will be duped into buying them. And believe me, people are. I had a lady on the course last year who'd spent upwards of $20,000 on SEO over two years. And when she did the course and looked into what that company had actually done, they'd done pretty much nothing. But she didn't understand it enough to ask the right questions. And whenever she did ask a question, they just bamboozled her with gobbledygook until she felt stupid and didn't ask a question again. So it's hard. It's very difficult. Uh, (laughs) God, I know. Yeah, it's terrible. But yeah. it also, I mean, it's great because what you're doing is offering um, business owners a way to understand that. And um, you, you do have a course, right? It's the recipe for SEO success e-course. Yeah, so I do have I do have a big course that's expensive and blah blah blah. But I also have a mini course. It's like twenty five dollars. Uh, it's deliberately cheap. I probably could. People keep on saying you should charge more for this, but I'm like, no. It's like a because I do want to earn money. Of course, I'm not stupid, but I do okay. You know, so I have a big group on Facebook called the I Love SEO group. I give out tips and advice and answer questions every single day from people who probably will never ever buy the big course. You know, because I also it's part of my why is I want to help people. I want to save people from those 20 grand SEO companies. Um, and if even just today, I did a coaching call with a lady who'd had a website built for her and she would paid extra for it to be SEO'd. And we had a look and they actually hadn't even done the most basic things. And it was terrible. Um, I, you know, she's one, one person who can go out into the world now feeling confident about it and spreading the word not to be bamboozled, you know, and that's a big important part of my why. Um, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it is. So, yeah. yeah it doesn't <laughs> sound cheesy at all. It sounds, I mean, it sounds very heartful. And I think that um, that's what people resonate with, actually. You know, they can actually, people are getting very, very astute to what people, information that people are giving out. If it has heart, they'll recognize it right away. And when they feel that someone really wants to help them, they'll know it right away. And so I think it's beautiful what you're doing. So I just want to mention again the Facebook group, and I, I will put the link up for anyone who wants to look into that. It's I Love SEO. Is that correct? Yeah, I Love SEO with Kate Toon. But if you type in I Love SEO, it, you'll, you'll find yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, and I'll, really- I'll put the link up on the show notes for everyone. I'm really interested in what you just said there about the heartfelt thing because I, I, I must admit I've never felt of myself as a particularly woo-woo person and very heartfelt, you know. Um, I'm quite a cynical soul. But the truth, you know, I think sometimes we have this view of ourselves that isn't actually quite the reality. And as the more that I am in my business, the more woo-woo I become, the more heartfelt I become. Uh, so it's interesting that you say that. And I totally agree that people can see through insincere heartfeltness, you know, and uh, it, 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 it just feels icky. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's an interesting point that you've made that I'm going to take away and think about that. <laughs> yeah, please do. And, you know, what's wrong with being woo-woo if, if, if all that means is that 
you're coming from your heart and you want to help people. I don't think there's anything woo-woo about that. I know in the sort of other paradigm, in the more uh, masculine paradigm that's been out in the corporate world, like one wouldn't show their heart. You know, you've just, you've got to be this, I don't know, robotic person. But I do believe that that's all shifting around and um, thanks to women like you. And, and and so I think it's a wonderful thing to embrace. Yeah, I like that. That can be the meme for the show. What's wrong with woo woo? I like that. Mm. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that on a t-shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Wonderful. Okay, so we're just about out of time, Kate. It's just been so wonderful talking to you about all of this. I loved it. And is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with as maybe just one little gem for them to take with them from today? I think it's everything we've talked about. It's the ethos of your podcast. It's the ethos of my book is to just be happy with being yourself. It sounds trite, but all of us have something special about ourselves. And as soon as we stop trying to be like everyone else, that specialness kind of rises to the top and you can embrace it and explore it. And there is nothing more relaxing than being able to be yourself, not just with your family, but online, in business, just to be yourself wherever you are is a freedom and something I only discovered a bit later in life, but thank God I discovered it. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for being here. So much gratitude. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.